reacquainted ourselves with the idea of relaxation. And I can't stress enough that when you sit to meditate, that you should try to explore deeper and deeper levels of relaxation. You, you try to quiet yourself as much as you can. And in this way, um, you will find that it's easier for you to hold your method. The next component in terms of our practice is a component of, um, of staying in the present moment. When we meditate, the body and the mind have to be together, meaning that it has to be in this moment. You get to a point where you practice as if it, you're balancing on the point of a pin. What I mean by balancing on the point of a pin is, is that you are aware of this moment and this moment. So if we have a sound, I don't want to give you something that sounds too pretty or else you'll definitely cling to it. For instance, if we go, you might still hold on to the sound but the sound's gone. Now, hear the bell, don't call it a bell, but just hear sound, don't name it. Let it go. What's in this moment? in this moment. Hey! Are you still holding on to the hey? Or are you in this moment? Now! Don't anticipate, don't cling to the past, just this moment, make it sharp. Be aware of this moment, not before it, not after it. Don't hold on to anything that went by. It's as if you were a ship in the ocean. Do not look forward as to where you're going or look back to see the wake of the water. Experience this moment. You must become adept at holding on to only the idea of the moment. When I say holding, it just simply means to have a, a recollection that you are in this moment, not the recollection of the moment itself.
as if you were a passenger in a car. One is experiencing the moment, not looking at what has passed by or what is coming. Just clearly this moment. Face the wall and have this moment. Do not utilize a method unless you have difficulty with it. Then you can pick up your method. But your method is only in this moment. It's better right now just to use this naked practice. Of keeping the mind in the present moment. sensation discard it immediately experience this present moment whatever comes but keep it so sharp like a pinpoint of time
ของรู้สึกเ
massage and face forward. troubles with that method or did you guys do it all right? Anybody have any problems with the method? You did? What did you, what was your problem? With how to just stay in the moment. Things, I kept thinking, well, there's nothing in the moment. So it was how to think about the moment. Well, I give you half credit for that. <laughs> um, Part of that is the realization, is there anything in the moment? Meaning if there's nothing in the moment, then the rest of it is also empty. So you are kind of on the gates of investigation of emptiness. Uh, but yourself creeps in and says, I'm having trouble with this. But what you're having trouble with is that the self doesn't want to go away. So you recognize that, which brings us to the next method we'll talk about in a moment, which will, should take care of that part of the problem. But the idea of staying in the present moment is critical. In whatever we do, we should have this, this mind that's always with the body, very, very clearly aware of what is happening moment to moment. And so in this way, if we're clear about it, then what happens is, is that we can keep the mind stabilized. Something's very, very funny. So that when you are watching me, can you see your own face? Are you aware of your face? Are you aware of your posture, your body, what you're doing? Or are you oblivious? There's a lot of people that walk around as if they had eaten a bunch of sour lemons. You ever see people like that? No matter what you say to them, hi, how are you doing? What do you mean? Or it's a good day, what's good about it? And they don't see how they are to other people. We generally tend to call them grouches. Um, there's people who are um, different types. They may be men or women that are interested in the opposite sex. Looking at them all the time, they don't see what they're, they're like. Once I was talking to this one attorney and we were negotiating the hallway in the court and this beautiful girl goes by and he was talking to me and all of a sudden he just started I could tell exactly when she was walking because he was resonating with her as she was walking down the hallway. Hello? No. We were having a conversation here. So the, the idea is to be aware moment to moment what you're doing. It's very, very important. If we are aware moment to moment, 
we make less mistakes. And we're relaxed, we're easy about it. So that the people that don't get too upset, you don't get reaction, or you don't have a reaction when people get upset around you, or things happen, all of a sudden you start getting nervous or something. Because you're not relaxed. You're not attuned with the moment. So if somebody gets gets you mad right away, you know, your face gets red and you want to, to say something back. Or you want to do something, or you, maybe you want to have an evasive maneuver or whatever. Because we're not aware. We're not, we're, we're not able to process that, what is happening in that moment. Because we're not in the present moment. We're not clear about what we're doing. It, it's very, very difficult to to do that. Once I took my associate with me to court and the attorney on the other side was a very tough attorney. He was very knowledgeable about the rules of evidence so he kept objecting and objecting to things that I would say. And little by little I would get around his objections and to present the evidence that I needed to get in. But when I uh, finished the case my associate was as white as a ghost. She was like blank, like, how can you do that? How can you do that? And she had lost her taste for litigation. She was so afraid that she couldn't do that. And she realized she didn't have the answers to what, what the objections were on the other side. And that she was fearful she was going to fail because she was not relaxed, she was not aware in that moment. So her mind could only think of failure, not think of the solution. When we practice, our mind is available. The options are available for us to figure out what the solution is or the best response is to any situation that's there. Sometimes there's no solution. Sometimes even the best choice is not a very good choice, but it's better than the others. And so we, we are able to process this information because we are in the present moment and we are relaxed. So the components of proper meditation are also the components of a, a walking in Chan. When we walk in Chan, we're very quiet. We're very aware of the moment. We know what to say, what not to say. And so we're aware of this. Now, as you were having where you were thinking, well, there's nothing in this moment. You're quite right. There's nothing. Because the stream of consciousness has been severed. So you did the exercise quite well. Too well, because then the self wanted to get in and, and try to to reinstate it, its rightful place as trying to develop the stream of consciousness again. And so what did you do? You went against what my, my instructions were and engaged in the stream of consciousness rather than trying to stay in the present moment. When you practice and sit in meditation, resist that. Resist that. Even as you get to practice better, there will be certain things that will come to you that will be very 
interesting experiences and you will go with those experiences like as if you're taken away by a band of gypsies oh you're having a great time with that oh I feel no pain I feel so wonderful I feel this way I see colors I see static you know different things that come up all sorts of different things that, that, that arise in the mind that take you off that present moment but in the present moment, there is nothing. There's nothing. In this present moment, there's nothing. Um, last weekend, I was interviewed for a documentary. And somebody asked me, what is emptiness? How would you reply? What is emptiness? What's emptiness? said just this huh what did you say just I went just this it's not even this it's this suggestion of this no concept present moment it's empty but not empty like dead empty but it's a vibrant emptiness that permeates everything. Only when we can stop internal discussion can one tune to this emptiness. So this is part of the practice. We're breaking it down. So I'm very happy that you asked your question and I'm very happy you came to that point that there's nothing there. Quite so. There's nothing there. But then you wanted to fill that gap up. Don't do that. Don't do that. Maintain that emptiness. Emptiness is good. Sounds kind of counterintuitive, right? Like you're shaking out popcorn for everybody and it comes to your bowl. There's no popcorn. Emptiness is good. Well, thanks a lot. But it's the emptiness that even in the popcorn kernel, it's all full of air. We see things very clearly. Come back in five minutes and there's no popcorn, right? Constantly changing. We see things reflected in this way in a very natural way. So it's natural for your stream of consciousness to come back up because it wants to try to, to fill that space with something. It's not used to not thinking. And it wants to think. It wants to do something. The first time I went to a retreat, one of my friends couldn't fathom going to a retreat. You mean for a whole week you're going to go and not talk? Not talk? Not say a word? For a whole week? I didn't tell him that he was going to sit on a little, no, two and a half by two and a half square. And that was going to be my vacation, is just sitting on one spot. You would definitely think I was crazy. And when you sit and you at a, at a retreat, there's times when you really think you're crazy for sitting there like that. But yet, that's what we do. But when you go to retreat, I don't want you to practice your legs. I want you to practice John. And if you use these methods, then your your practice will be much more beneficial. A little bit more about Zen Don.
If they do not first learn to pacify the mind, those who seek the great vehicle are an error in their knowledge. The Mahaprajnaparamita Sutra says, The five eyes of the Buddha observe the minds of sentient beings and all phenomena ultimately without seeing, meaning non-duality. The Huayan Sutra says, if you have no views, then you can see. So what is a seeing? The Siyi Sutra says, it is not something seen with the eyes or known by the senses. It must be seen by according with thusness. All the senses are thus, and so is the thusness of the Dharma. Seeing like this is called correct seeing. Have you ever had an intuitive experience where you saw something that either came to pass or was happening? Anybody ever have that experience? You did? Raise your hand if you've ever had that experience, something that was going to happen. That, that's seeing without seeing, right? You didn't see it with your eyes, but it was something that was there. And when you have that, then it begins to give you a feeling of seeing without seeing. That there's more to this mind than just what the five senses enable us to see. You begin to see things differently. When I practiced Qigong, we would practice and we could look at the person. You could see the chi in, in their body, the energy. And you could see there's places of lightness and darkness. And if there was places of darkness, we'd know that there was an illness there. We really weren't using our eyes to see that. We're using a different type of seeing. Is that enlightenment? No, not really. Because they're talking about here, the five eyes of the Buddha. Anybody know what the five eyes of the Buddha are? And it's not like five eyes, okay? It's like your regular seeing, your enhanced seeing, seeing from a third eye. A third eye skill is intuitive skill, which is probably what you were using to have your intuitive uh, 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 feeling or seeing. The, the Dharma eye, which is, a, which is the wisdom, and using wisdom to see things, wisdom being cutting through the illusions and being able to process information very quickly and tap into mind itself. And the Buddha eye. And the Buddha eye is, you could say, the all-pervasive, uh, omniscient eye of, of Buddha mind itself that simply, that once self is immersed into mind, the notion of self returns to mind. It's like um, an all-access pass. It can go everywhere. Like if you were at a concert and you have general admission, they put you up in the balcony. If you have a reserve seat, they put you down below. You have a special pass. You can get closer to it. And when you get to um, like really knowing the band, you can show your pass and you can get backstage. And that's what the Buddha is. Back, Buddha has a backstage pass. 
actually goes anywhere, sees anything. So we have certain types of, of visions that we're able to see. I remember one Shifu asked, so what, what eye does the Buddha see with? Anybody know? I'll give us one over to my, what eye? All of them. Good. All, all of the eyes. All of the eyes. Not separate from it. When one understands in this way, it makes it easier for us to make the transition to mind. I don't bring up these things to say, oh, that you need to see these things or have these types of vision. Just That's what's not important. What's important is to understand how mind works and how we see things. Okay. Um, by the way, I left my phone here because I have some emergencies at home I have to deal with. So... Uh, if, I'm sorry if I disturb you with it. Um, okay, so that's this is the eye he's talking about, and he clarifies it a little bit, and he says that it must be seen according with thusness. Thusness is what we talked about yesterday, the tathagatha, or they call thus come one. Thus come one is what well, the notion of one, actually one kind of messes the whole thing up is just simply more apt to say the Tathagatha Garbha which is the, the Buddha womb the, the idea that that everything is all connected and uh, all senses are thus and so is the thusness of the Dharma seeing like this is called the correct seeing the Changju says bats and owls do not see things in the daylight but rather by night. This is due to inversions of false thinkings. How so? Bats and owls see to what others is darkness as light. Ordinary people see what others to what to others is light as darkness. Both are cases of false thinking. Because of their inverted perceptions, because of their karmic barriers, ordinary people do not see reality. This being so, light is not definitely light and darkness not definitely darkness. If you understand like this, you are not confused by inverted thinking. Then you will enter into eternity, bliss, the personality, and the purity of the Tathagathas. Tathagathas being the Buddhas. And the point here is something that I can only show you by example that when we're we are conversing with people or doing things we believe that there's lightness there but mind is really not illuminated it's not illuminated from the outside state or the inside state there's there's no real harmony there, no illumination. We have no idea what is arising in the mind. We only function in accordance with habit energy. If I hit you, you want to hit me back. If I insult you, you want to insult me back. There's no illumination in the mind. It's a natural reaction. If I put a piece of cheesecake in front of you, with raspberry dressing. Oh, now I got a smile from her. 
totally dark. All she's seen is the cheesecake now with the raspberry dressing. I knew I'd get you. And there's, it's dark. One doesn't see that the craving that arises in that moment. It's, the mind is dark. We perceive it to be light. When we see the, the cheesecake that's not even here, the mind is dark. There's no cheesecake here, I'm sorry. Maybe later you might get one, but there's none here. But we create this illusory mind that brings forth this cheesecake. Anybody else put a cheesecake in their head when we're talking about it? You're all too thin. Okay. So, uh, in any case, the, the idea is, is that it's dark, but we see it as lightness. We think it's light, but it's not. We're not seeing that, that where that cheesecake arose or the desire that rose up that even can create saliva in your mouth. We don't see any of those things. There. And so as a result, we have a problem because we cannot see clearly. That's why I was equating bats and owls thinking it's daytime and seeing at nighttime and perceiving that to be the time to be. And he's not using it in it strictly as a natural way but as an analogy to the way that people utilize the mind and, and they have this darkness in terms of being able to navigate through the environment. There's no light there. We perceive it to be light, and, and just like the owls perceive it to be light when it's nighttime. But the mind is obstructed. It's not seen clearly. When the mind is working in the proper way and that it's clear, everything is illuminated. It's absolutely wonderful because all of a sudden, what we believe to be daylight was darkness and now we see everything illuminated. The problem with the word illuminated is, is that too many people have attached to it being that somebody who is illuminated walks around with this glow. Oh, he's enlightened. How do you know? Can't you see the light around him? He's glowing like a 500 watt bulb. But that's not the way it is. The illumination is being oriented, very well oriented, to time and space and clearly what is happening in this moment and aware of what is arising and falling in mind. And not just what you perceive to be your mind, but everyone's mind around you. And you're aware of that. So, let's say that you were a very combative person and you're always combative. Then, I would know how to, to deal with you. Now, I would know that a frontal assault would only produce a fight. So, I'm illuminated to my mind and I'm illuminated to your mind. I'm illuminated that you have in your mind this combative habitual energy that manifests in consciousness. So there's no reason to try to, to do that. And even people who are combative like that also have some rear guard mechanism if you try to be nice to them 
They're still mean to you. You ever have that happen? You try to be nice to a mean person, and they're still nasty. And so you become aware of even that. And so you you try to find the way to to create harmony in the situation so that things are seen very, very clearly. Uh, any questions about that? This is pretty simple. Chan is simple. It's not really hard. We make it hard and we make the idea of illumination of the mind or enlightenment to be something that's unobtainable. But surely as you sit here today, you can make connection to it. Yes, go ahead. I need some help in uh, defining the mind uh, because I heard you mention mind is permanent. Yes. Yes. But the mind is something that reflective of or sensory-based feelings or connections or some kind of consciousness. Maybe I need some more help to define the consciousness. And, And your question is very appropriate to this moment. Because what's happening is all of a sudden you're realizing, hmm, what I thought was mine may not be mine. And it's certainly not yours or my mind. So the way you look at it is that that reflection, that which reflects like the mirror. If we had a mirror here and you looked into the mirror, what would you see? You would see the body, right? Yes. Okay. And then you sat back down and I stood up and stood in front of the mirror and you looked at the mirror. Would you still see yourself? No. Why not? Blocked. What do you mean it's blocked? Because you're standing in front of me here. Well, uh, let's say I'm standing right here and the mirror is there so you can see. And you were standing there before. Now I stand there. So if you look at the mirror, what would you see? See both of us. You would see you in the distance, maybe. And maybe you're not even in the picture. But you would see my reflection. Right. If, if the image that was there was real, it would stay there all the time. But it doesn't. It, it is not real. So as I stand in front of the mirror and I look at the image in the mirror and I'd say, this is real. This is, I can see myself. I'm real. But then she stands in front of the mirror and I'm no longer there. But the mirror is always there. The mirror is there. And whatever is reflected in it it allows it to be reflected and whatever causes and conditions that bring whatever appearances there appear in front of the mirror, neither sacred nor profane, neither good nor bad. Whatever appears, if a clown comes in, the mirror says, I'm sorry, no clowns here. You're not going to be reflected. No. It allows whatever bozo to appear in the mirror. That's why there's so many of them walking around this world. But if we look at things very carefully, we then realize, ah, this is mine. The image and the reflection, they're not separate. Just like what you saw all of a sudden when you, when you see moment to moment to moment, 
there's no longer any reflections there. It's reflecting what's happening in that moment, but it changes so quickly. There's not a time that we can say that this is real. But the mirror does not change. The mirror is there. That's permanent. Whatever is reflecting is reflecting within mind itself. Do not investigate consciousness. Investigate from where the consciousness arises and falls. When you see things in this way, you're clear about that. Yesterday I used the, the analogy of the dust on the bowl and blowing of the dust off and where did the dust go? But there's also a famous exchange between Matsu and Baizong in which Matsu was testing Baizong to see exactly if he was right or not. And they were by a lake and they saw some ducks fly by, whack, 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 whack. And Matsu asked Baizong, where did the ducks go? And Baizong was lifted his finger to point to where they were going. And Matsu twisted his nose very, very hard. Very, very hard. So hard that he cried. And then he became enlightened. He had a re realization at that moment. Later he wrote a poem and the first line said, it was only until today that I noticed that my nostrils pointed downward. What do you think that meant? It was only until today that I realized my nostrils pointed downward. Anybody? Come on, this is not rocket science. <laughs> this is true. Mirror understands causes and conditions. And what else? Something oh, very basic. Just as things are. I'm sorry? Just as things are. Just as things are. Yeah, the point was is that one is right before his face. The, res the answer was right here. He never saw it. And he never realized that his nose, the nostrils were pointing downward. Because if they were pointing upward, who knows what kind of dust would get inside of them. So everything was functional. Everything is perfectly in its place, as it should be. And so he's using the ordinary to express the super mundane. And the idea is, is that we're aware, indeed, where did the ducks go? Matsu was speaking Chan, Baizong was, was operating in ordinary language, but he should have been aware that his master was asking him something from a Chan point of view. And so where did the ducks go? Then essentially he knew immediately, indeed, where did they go? Where could they go? What is this? Does it, there's no, the, the ducks are part of mine. There's no place for them to fly out. Even if they fly out of the frame, they would still be in mine. No matter how far they flew, they would still be in mine. Like you were talking about yesterday, that you could keep going and going and going and going. You never reach to the edge of, of, of mind. Yesterday you were talking about it being the universe, but it's mine. You'd never get to the point where there's a sign saying, after this there's no mine. 
You never get there. So we use this way of looking at mind to be able to see it and not practice consciousness. That mirror is permanently there and it, it reflects in a proper way. In the Tian Tai school, they talk about noumenon and phenomenon. They talk about noumenon being um, the mind itself, mind ground, and phenomena being that which arises. And they say the noumenon never interferes with the phenomena. Whatever appears in phenomena appears in accordance with cause and conditions, pratikasamapada. And it enables it to do that. And so when we see that, we we no longer disassociate mind from consciousness and think consciousness is mind. We see them as a neat package of mind itself. What is the substance of mind? Mind is the substance of mind. What is the primary meaning of mind? Mind is the primary meaning. It is all mind. And, and as we work in this way, then the mind is clarified. So what we do in our practice is investigate mind. When you're sitting to meditate, you're not investigating consciousness. You're investigating mind. You, yeah, go ahead. Uh, there's eye consciousness, ear consciousness, you know, whatever, nose consciousness, well, smell consciousness. So there's all these different, con- are they part of consciousness or are they part of mind? I mean, when we, when we just sit and watch the present moment, can um, I feel a sensation? Should I, you know, do I want to even recognize that? Is that part of mind or is that part of consciousness? Okay. You're making me go to the book. Because I want you to know that this stuff is, um, it's all in due time. Now I know why I did, I was going to read this to you earlier, but I won't, but now I know why I waited because it, I needed that prompt. Okay. This was talking about right after the part where we said our dharma is secret and silent and it's not transmitted by common fools of shallow consciousness. Shallow consciousness meaning somebody who's trying to operate and, and perfect consciousness. They're, they're not delving into mind itself. So it says, if you do not understand, you are not liberated. The sixth consciousness possesses the seventh and the eighth. Now, in what you're talking about requires me to give you a mini lesson in the Yogacara school of the of consciousness only school. Um, the first five consciousness are the sense consciousness, um, and those senses eye, ear, nose, tongue, body, the five consciousness that receive information. They get into what is called the sixth consciousness, which is the Manovijnana. In the Manovijnana, what it does is it takes all this information that it's receiving and pulls it up and says, aha, this is a book. How do you know it's a book? Well, it's rectangular. It has these many different um, uh, uh, pages that appear to be made out of some wood product and it has little writing on it and therefore it must be a book. So it's a book. Seventh Consciousness says, it's a good book. Um, or it, so it could see, how do you know it's a good book? It has a cross on the front of it. Or it has a, the Dharma seal on the front of it. 
or it's a dirty book. How do you know it's a dirty book? Because uh, it's uh, 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 it has a picture of a naked man or a naked woman on the front, so it has to be dirty inside. So the seventh consciousness is doing this, and as it's doing this, it you know it is what's called perfuming what is appearing in consciousness. It perfumes in accordance with what's called bija seeds. Bija is being the seeds of consciousness that were previously planted and that give an impression. So the sixth consciousness just says it's a book. Seventh consciousness says I like, dislike, or forms an opinion about it and then creates a volition to act upon that. All of these things are empty, but when, when the seventh consciousness is operating in this way, it clouds that. Where does it get all this information to begin with? From the eighth consciousness, which is called the Alaya consciousness. The Alaya consciousness or storehouse consciousness. Seed consciousness is another term for it. Tathagatha Garba is another word for it. Buddha nature is another word for it. In the Yogacara school, they call it Alaya Vishnana. So this Alaya consciousness is interacting with the seventh consciousness, perfuming the seventh consciousness, and, and in turn creating more seeds that are planted in the eighth consciousness. The, so let's read what he says about this. He says that if you are not liberated, the sixth consciousness possesses the seventh consciousness and the eighth, meaning that whatever arises there, all of a sudden one is allured to it or is rejecting it. And, and so, so we are governed by that type of a way, even to the eighth consciousness. Now the eighth consciousness is acting in concert with the seventh consciousness to continue to produce these habitual energy seeds that perfume the seventh consciousness. Anybody still with me or am I talking to myself? You guys hanging in there? Yeah. All right. If you do understand, if you were liberated, the eighth consciousness, the Alaya Vijnana, is without the sixth and the seventh. We were talking about this before. It's function perfectly. It functions in a way without the sixth and the seventh consciousness being there. That awareness is able to produce body, speech, and mind in a perfected way without being perfumed by previous seeds of habitual energy. So it's free. It's enlightened. Those who intend to be Buddhas should first learn to pacify the mind. Before mind is pacified, even good things are not good. So much the worse for evil. When mind becomes peaceful and still, neither good nor evil has any basis. Why? Because then one is working perfectly with wisdom. And the wisdom arises. And one thing I didn't talk about yesterday too much, or last night, was as wisdom arises, the natural product of wisdom arising, this perfected transcendent wisdom, is a wonderful, incredible, unbridled compassion. 
incredible compassion. But in order to access this beautiful compassion that arises, we have to have this right view and right view wisdom and then ultimately right view realize this transcendent wisdom. But in order to have this compassion, we first speak of wisdom. Speaking of wisdom, then compassion naturally arises from that. It is represented in Manjusri and Avalokiteshvara. Manjusri being the Bodhisattva of wisdom and Avalokiteshvara was this unbridled compassion. The two are linked together. You cannot speak of wisdom without compassion. You cannot speak of compassion without wisdom. You can't separate them out. If you speak of compassion only, this is a conditional compassion. Save the whales. The tuna, they taste too good to save. So, when you have the wisdom and the compassion, then it saves all sentient beings. And so, it's a wonderful connection like this that's all occurring in the Alayo Vishnana, the Eighth Consciousness. So, I'm speaking in... Uh, Yogacara terms because you asked me the question in Yogacara context. But that's how it works. Does that follow? Yeah, I um, had a follow-up question. It seems like consciousness is very useful for getting consciousness to behave. Is getting what? Consciousness is kind of necessary. I mean, consciousness is our method, right? So we use consciousness to get consciousness to behave. Our, actually, our method is mine. Hang in there with me. Okay. And this is this little fine-tuning, Susan, that makes a big difference in the practice. Because even no matter how many times I say it, we, you still got a little bit of a, of a kink in your view. When we sit to meditate, we rest our mind in mind. We rest everything there and produce the method. The method, you are correct in that the method arises in consciousness. But the method, let's say, what they say, um, uh, a, uh, a Watteau, and sometimes they talk about the Watteau as, as, as uh, a statement of, of, of little value. That is just repeated. What um, Shu Yun referred to it in this way. So, just nonsensical statement. You know, um, who is reciting the Buddhist name? What is emptiness? Whatever. It is only meant to be repeated, 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 so that one is is uh, enables to rest in the mind, and as it's resting in the mind and this is going to be spatial, okay, but it's not necessarily spatial, but it gives you an idea. Let's say, now, it's, the mind is rested like this, the method is here in consciousness, and this consciousness is just repeating the same, the same saying, same, saying, same, saying. It's nonsensical because at some point it, it is given no consciousness value. 
the sixth and the seventh consciousness are not operating on it. When they're not operating on it, it's merely arising in the Alaya Vijnana. It's an appearance there that is not being linked to anything. So we're not really practicing consciousness. We're just allowing the mind to be there without clinging to any of the thoughts. So as a thought arises in consciousness, the mind is is not um, turned towards that. It just drops off. And we maintain the method, whatever the method is. What Shifu likened it to be like a, um, a lake with a with a bunch of lily pads and a big fat bullfrog that sits on the on the pad and he's sitting there on this pad which is the method and he has nothing to do he's already eaten already made it just sitting there on a moonlit night and there's all these other little pads there but there's no reason to jump to him perfectly content sitting on this pad but since he's sitting on the pad he no longer sees the pad he just sees the entire lake perfectly reflected and that's how we utilize the method we're not practicing consciousness we're resting in mind and allowing the mind to reflect what is arising. So as something arises in consciousness, the mind is aware that this is the arising mind and pays no attention to it. It's just like the sound of another bullfrog down the way or a fish jumping out of the water or a ripple in the water has nothing to do with the contented bullfrog that just simply sitting there, resting. And this is how one approaches the method. We do not use the consciousness per se because we can't. We simply allow consciousness to be reflected in mind. Does that help? Yeah? Right, any other question? Yes, go ahead. That's another question. Um, my understanding, maybe I'm wrong here, is the reflecting mechanism is perfect, like mirror types. So that's part of mind. But in mind, there's another interpretation types. The emotional self, egotistic interpretations based on the past experience, whatever, karma, etc. That's part also mind. But if I understand correctly, mind also encompasses the consciousness up to the eighth level. Am I correct or wrong? The, the way you're describing it is both. Your first interpretation is just that one as seeing consciousness and trying to practice via consciousness versus seeing the what is mine. All of the things that appear are not separate from mine. So when we look at the bell, the bell is, is a bell. Whether or not it rings or not, 
it's real and it's not real. But that is not as important as to understand that it only appears in mind. It's only part of mind. There's no place else the bell appears. There's no place else where the bell is at. Even the ground underneath you which supports you that is attached to the rest of the earth is all mine. There's no place separate from that. You can't dig down deep into, into the earth and not find mine. It's just all mine. When we start from this premise that no matter how far you go out, it's all mine, then we return consciousness to to mind. We don't turn mind into consciousness. It's a fatal error. And you have to switch it. You have to keep working on that and working on that and, and looking at it in the proper way. Consciousness is always changing. It's transitory. Why? Because the nature of the mind enables it to do that. And when the mind enables it to do that, then you have to to discard that you say, oh, this bell is real. This is clearly real. It's, I can feel it. I feel this. I feel that. I feel that. Yeah, but what if we cut off your hands? Or what about a hundred years from now, will you be able to feel the bell? No. Will your consciousness be here? No. Will mine be here? Yes. So, you have to come out of the darkness and into the light. You have to keep playing with that, switching, switching, switching. Don't fall asleep on me, okay? Stay, stay awake. Any other questions? No questions? All right. Okay, we're going to do one more before our break. We stop at 12, right? Okay. What we're going to do is... Think of not thinking. So how do you think of not thinking? By not thinking. It, it sounds nonsensical, but it is just an extension of what we did with the, um, the practice of staying in the present moment. So now we're relaxed. We're going to stay in the present moment and not have thought. How do we do that? Whenever thought arises in the mind, the mind recognizes it. It doesn't have to cast it out. It just has to return back to not thinking. So the mind is sitting there not thinking. And even if you have to say not thinking, it becomes meaningless. Because all you're simply doing is saying not thinking, not thinking. You're not really thinking, you're not adding another thing to it. Unless you're saying, I'm not thinking. Well, I've been not thinking for a long time. Uh, wait till I tell Gilbert, I didn't think about anything right now. I don't have any thought in my mind. That's thinking. But if it's just not thinking, not thinking, not thinking, don't think. What we're trying to do is reverse the flow of habitual energy that has created in your mind the necessity for the stream of consciousness. Don't 
fall for that trap. You don't need the stream of consciousness there. So don't think, okay? It's a face of all. You can add relaxation and, the, and being in the present moment and continue with that.
Okay, face the front. Did anybody have problems with not thinking? Raise your hand. Were you able to hold it at all? Then what happened to you? Had it. The things came up? Mm-hmm. Were you able to bring it back to not thinking or did you just... Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. And then you said you had a problem? Well, yeah, it was just, you know, thoughts coming up, you know, things I wanted to do, blah, blah, blah. And then, yeah, it was just... Okay. And then you also had a problem 
You have to speak loud because the air conditioning is. Oh, I said I just kept thinking that there's a way to not think. So you kept thinking of there's no way to not think. Did you dawn on you at that moment that you were thinking? Yeah. So I kept thinking, this isn't working because I'm thinking and I'm supposed to be not thinking. It's okay. Be patient with it. The thing is, is that it is possible not to think. But not to think is something that one can do while talking. And, um, no, it's a matter of how we look at it. So the, the idea is, is that when we are acting in a proper way, we're functioning properly, thoughts come up and they go, come up and go, come up and go. One doesn't really attach to them. We just use the consciousness to carry out our vows and to carry out our function without the idea of thinking or having the thought that I am thinking, I am speaking. So is Gilbert speaking? No, Gilbert isn't speaking. If Gilbert was speaking, he'd probably be talking to you about surfing and all sorts of other things and fun things to do. You know, he's a very problematic fellow most of the time. So, you know, we just keep him over to the side. But this body can be used in a way in which it can be used without the idea of thinking. Even though it has many thoughts, it's not attaching to the thoughts. So this process that we're using is a process to not attach to thought so that the mind just allows um, whatever appears not to stick around. What happens is that you go, oh, that's an interesting thought. The interesting thought of that I can't stop thinking. So then you start thinking about I can't stop thinking, which is thinking. Instead of recognizing and saying, wait, that's thought. What if I just take a rest? A rest from who? From you. What do you mean you? Yeah, you're the problem. No, I'm not. I'm the one that just told you you can't stop thinking. Well, you need to stop. Stop it right now. I'm doing pretty good, huh? Up until that point, now you're thinking again. See, I told you you couldn't stop thinking. Why are you doing that? You see, what causes you to do that? But that's what's going on in your mind. It's like cuckoo. Because I'm not saying that you're cuckoo, like really cuckoo, you know. But I'm just saying it. it is like they were saying, like the bats and the owls thinking it's daytime when they're flying around. But when we allow the mind to rest, it's at peace. It's very, very quiet. And this idea of not thinking of is not producing thought. The idea of not producing thought is simply that the mind is not attached to to whatever is rising, giving rise to a new thought that's linked to the previous thought. I can't stop thinking. I will never get this. I wonder what time it is. This is getting boring. I'm, and all these things are all linked together. But if you stop the links and you just simply say, stop thinking, then the mind comes to rest. And, and if you keep saying, stop thinking, stop thinking, then it helps. How did you do with this one? Good. Just uh, relaxing into the pain in my legs. It's, and so you had pain in your legs? or? Well, just relaxing into the pain. Okay, and, and that's the thing is that, see now what you're doing is not only were you not thinking, but you are using the relaxation to relax 
relax the pain in your legs so that now you're not really having the idea that you have a, a pain in, in, in your legs. Even though you sense the, the sensation of it, it's no longer attaching to it so it's not causing you this major discomfort where if you just simply said, I want you to start thinking about the pain in your legs, you know, we'd be calling 911 in about five minutes or so because the pain would be unbearable. But here, where you just realize, that's natural, I crossed my legs, so my legs are going to have a little bit of discomfort. It's okay. And you say, you know, I I haven't had anybody die from crossing their legs, okay, or any lasting injuries that they've had. Um, But in any case, yeah, that's what you do, is you just are now incorporating all these methods together being in the present moment and and the relaxation and not thinking. Okay. How about on this side? Anybody have a comment about what they did with their not thinking method? Some wandering thought come and go. It's natural. It's natural that the wandering thoughts will come and go. I didn't expect you guys to, you know, get a high degree of black belt the first time you tried this, okay? The fact that you were able to to stay with the method, you know, and remember and come back to it's all right. We we notice that these thoughts come and go, and when they do, just put them up on that mirror. Okay, just imagine the mind like a mirror, and they'll slide right off. Okay, and and later on you won't have to use that kind of imagery to make them go away. But in the beginning, it's not so bad to try to do that, to try to get those thoughts under control. So as you begin to to work in this way, then it will it will help you a lot. Anybody else have any comments about their practice? Yes, go ahead. So typically I will focus on my breath because if I'm not hanging around something it's more wandering thought. If I focus on my breath, there's a thought coming, I can absorb it and chalk it. Is this reasonable way to do Okay, I didn't quite hear you. Something about your back? No, no, breath. 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 What about your breath? I mean, typically I will start focusing by my breath. In this way, I kind of focus on something using my body as an anchor point. So in this way, if anyone wandering thought come, I can absorb it and drop it. If I have nothing in my mind, I'm starting with... It's okay as long as you don't start trying to control your breath or to do things. You realize for you, you kind of needed a cane to help you walk or to help you with the method. So you created a cane to help you limp along with it, which is okay. Um, the That's just mind itself kind of creating that, but fighting fire with fire, poison with poison, sometimes they say. But it's okay, you know, because if one's not used to working without a method, uh, having no thought is not necessarily easy. This is not as easy as staying in the present moment or relaxing. Um, This is a little bit more of, uh, let's say, um, an advanced skill. But this advanced skill is what needs to be there in order for your method to really work well. So I'm kind of giving you the points and saying, okay, you you have to have all of these things here, but but you're looking at it and going, well, I can't do it, you know, so I'm going to add watching the breath to it 
so that I can do it because you feel comfortable with that. That's okay. As long as you're not thinking about it. You could be thinking about the breath without thinking about anything else and it'll be the same thing as not thinking. Because later on what we're going to do is we're going to put your method back in. Right now all we're doing is isolating out various components of what should be there in, in the proper one, which is not thinking. So when, you, when we put the method back in, you already got this part. You already know, okay, not to think, stay in the present moment, relax. Okay, and in this way you will you'll work better. Any other questions or, or problems they had with their methods? Yes, go ahead. I'm trying to grasp this idea of not thinking. Is it is it like when you're driving a car and you get there and you don't know how you got there? Is that not thinking? That pretty much because all you're doing is you're following function. Now, if you don't know how you got there and you ran through 20 stoplights, that's not good. Yeah. But, uh, but if you are just engaged in the present moment and doing something, then that's the way it is. So by the end of the day, when I finish talking, it will feel to me like I've been talking for five minutes. And sometimes when I, I, I give a lecture, people go, wow. That was two hours? How could that be? And they, they weren't aware of the time simply because that they were so engaged in what I was saying that they lost track of the time. Time again is relative. So this is, is engaged in the function of whatever's happening right in that moment. It's not, not thinking. Even though one is using their mind to think and to, to do things, we're not measuring it by the sense of having a self there going, When's he going to stop talking? You know, I'm hungry, or I have to pee, or I have to do this, or I'm thirsty, or whatever, you know. Um, then all of a sudden time becomes much, much greater and longer. And But if one doesn't think about it, then it just happens naturally. Okay? Uh, any other questions? No. I'll, I think they're still working on, on lunch. Um, you can check and see. But... Um, while they're doing that, then I, I, I just want to, to read you something. Um, this is from the book, The Mind of Chinese Chan. And it just says, kind of an interesting little story um, that might help you. It says, when Shea Feng was traveling to Li Shou with Yen Tu, or Yen To, so it's Shea Feng and Yen To, they're traveling to this town. And they were snowed in on this mountain. And each day, Yen To slept. So they were snowed in, just imagine there's two monks that are snowed in on the mountain. They're, they're in this little cabin. And each day he just slept. Oh, time to go to sleep. During the daytime, he slept. Um, and Shui Feng meditated the whole day. So that while the one monk was sleeping, the other monk was meditating. Dasu, he's just said. One day, Shui Feng, the one that meditated all the day, he said, Brother, brother, please stop. And Yen Tou said, Wow. Oh. What's the matter? 
And Tui Feng said, how unlucky I am in this life that I travel with a fellow such as you. So he's not happy that he's meditating and Yen To is sleeping all day. Everything you do bothers me. So put it mildly, he had some cabin fever going on there. He says, all you do is sleep. Yento yelled, go to sleep. Every day you just sit there like an idol from an earth god shrine in a small village. So an idol, uh, if you've ever been to Taiwan or, or to China or, or to East Asian countries, they have these, these little uh, shrines that you put up. Anybody's ever seen shrines like this? There's these little shrines and they have an idol in, inside of them. They call them the what he say an earth god, meaning that they're just somebody that's like a spirit that the local farmers will say, please, you know, help me with my crops or do this or help me and do do all these things. We have some time? Okay. And and so so they just have this little tiny shrine there that they built for them. Not not much taller than this, you know. And but people will go by and they'll drop a flower there or whatever. Um, kind of a little a side story was that when Xu Fu built his his temple in Taiwan in the university, there was down at the foot of the mountain where he built a, a, a shrine there, and and Shufu had a conversation with the the earth god that occupied that little shrine, and the earth god was very very sad because he said, now that you built this, you're going to build this big temple and, and university. People are just going to pass right by me. They're not going to do anything, you know. I'm like. I'm, I'm, people are going to forget about me. So he was. So the Earth God was very, very sad about that. Um, so just in case you don't believe in these things, it's kind of weird. But these things do happen. So what he's saying to him when he's saying you're sitting there like an Earth Earth God shrine, is you're there and you're you're feeling so self-important, you know, in your little tiny shrine that you built for yourself. So he's kind of telling him, you know. What do you think, you know, so somebody who's so caught up in themselves, you know, I can sit forever. I'm sitting here and, and I'm there and but you bother me because you don't even practice. How can you how can you be anything because you, you're just such a lazy person. You don't practice. You don't come to meditate. I'm meditating all the time, you know, and and so Yento saw him and going like, you know, your head's in the wrong place. He could already figure it out. But the other one's looking at him and, and, and is bothered by everything that he does. And so he said, um, in the future you will cheat other people. So he's telling the Shui, um, Shui Feng, in, in the future you're going to cheat other people. You're... you're you know, because you're not going to let them see the true Dharma. You're just going to teach them the same garbage that what you're doing sitting there playing like an earth shrine god. Shui Feng pointed to his breast. And he said, I'm not at peace in here. I dare not cheat myself. Yento said, I thought that you would be an abbot who spread the Buddhist teachings on the highest mountain. 
So I do not know why you speak like this. Yin Tos already have deep insight. He's already seen Shui Feng's future. He already knows where he's going to be at. And he's telling him where he's going to be at, but Shui Feng can't see it. He can't see it himself. He's not at peace. And he's already telling him, why do you talk like this, you know? Can't you see? He can't see. He can't use wisdom to see where he's headed to. And Shui Feng just said, I'm really not at peace in here. Yen To said, if this is true, try to tell me what you see and I will certify that which is right and eradicate which is wrong. Shui Feng said, the first time I visited Chan Master Yen Quan, I heard him explain the meaning of emptiness of matter. And I got entrance to the way. So he said, the first time I heard this master talk about the em emptiness of matter, I got entrance to the way. Anybody see his problem? There's two main problems. Nobody? So the one master's telling him about, about um, the idea of emptiness of matter and he says, and I, when I heard him, I got entrance to the way. Yeah, go ahead. That's a little bit early to be getting it. I mean, so basically he's making an assumption that, that he achieved something. And who achieved it? He himself. Yeah. And what was being taught? So right there is just a contradiction, right? How can he get entrance to emptiness? And so, so Yen To said, you should not talk about it 30 years from now. So he's telling him, you're clinging to this, this little tiny little idea, and you've corrupted it already. Don't talk about it 30 years from now put it past you. So whatever little tiny realization you got, put it past and continue to practice. Continue to look towards the, uh, the future in terms of, of, of your practice. Then Shui Feng talked about Tong Shang's poem. Do not seek for it outside. So that was uh, the verse that he, that moved him was do not seek for it outside. Shui Feng said, Later I asked Teshang, Oh no, excuse me, uh, I, I'm sorry. Uh, where he said, Do not seek for it outside. Yen To said, If it is like this, then you have not saved you, yourself. So, if you have not saved yourself. Why did he say that? The verse was, Do not seek for it outside. And Yento said, if it's like this, you have not saved yourself. Come on. It's the self that's seeking. Huh? It's the self that's seeking. The self is seeking. There should not be an outside, but there should not be an inside. It's, 
So Yento is referring to him directly to mind. Just keep bringing him back to mind, back to mind. And he keeps bringing back to the idea of self. And so then he continues. Um, Shui Feng then said, Later I asked Tishan, What can I do to follow the patriarchs and spread the teachings of the Chan school? So he said, what can I do to follow the patriarchs and spread the teachings of the Chan school? And Tishan hit me with a stick. And he said, why are you asking? Why are you asking? At that time, I was like a tub without a bottom. Yento yelled, did you not hear it is not a treasure that comes in through the door? So he's so the the thing was is that where it said he was asking Tishan, hey, what can I do to to help um, uh, teach the Dharma? What was his problem there? The eye. Huh? The eye. The eye. The eye. The eye. Oh, the eye. Okay, the eye. The eye is there as one develops their wisdom. The compassion naturally arises. So he's not at a point yet where he can he he can ask that question. It's just like we were talking about before the Buddha eye and 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 the past to get into the concert. And so when he um, he asked him when Taishan hit me with a stick, he said, "Why are you asking?" It's as if he's checking credentials at the door. And and Shui Feng doesn't have the ticket. The eye doesn't have the ticket to get in. So he's going to him like, why are you showing up here? You can't get in. You cannot get into here. That you you don't have the proper ticket or credentials to get in. Because it's the eye instead of one if the eye drops off, that question is irrelevant. So that's when Yen To yelled at him, did you not hear that it's not a treasure that comes through the door? Again, he's pointing towards mind. It's not a treasure that comes through the door. Mind is mind. What is the substance of mind? Mind. It's already there. There's no way to, to do this in, in terms of it. You... you you lack the proper foundation or the right view. This is what's missing with him, is that he lacks the right view to advance in his training. So no longer, or no matter how long he sits on that bed and meditates and meditates and meditates and meditates, he's going nowhere. He's going nowhere because he lacks that fundamental right view. And it says... So he finally said, what can I do in the future? Yento answered, in the future, if you wish to spread this great Buddhist teaching, whatever you say must flow from your mind. Not the eye, but from your mind. And then you can cover heaven and earth. Hearing this, Shui Feng was enlightened. He immediately bowed and cried, brother, 
Today I came the way on Owl Mountain. So he then understood no clinging to the I. It's mine. It has to flow naturally from the mind. When when I teach, I I teach from the heart, the, the heart of, of just mind itself. And and in this way it it passes. And if you open your heart, it can be received just like a river. There's no difference between the, the mind that I'm using and the mind you're using. It, it will run freely. Okay? Okay, we're going to take our lunch break. Do we have a, a, a male liturgy? Yes, right behind you. Okay, let's go ahead and do, do that. You can go ahead and set it all up. <coughs> Do it in here. Yeah, we could stand and do it. We make offerings to the Buddhas. We make offerings to the Dharma. We make offerings to the Sangha. We make offerings to all sentient beings. I vow to deliver all sentient beings. I vow to cut off endless vexations. I vow to master limitless approaches to Dharma. I vow to attain supreme Buddha. The offering is over, and we wish all sentient beings accomplish liberation and fulfill the Next page. Considering how much merit has brought me to food, I reflect on where this food came from, measuring my own virtue and practice, am I worthy of receiving this offering, protecting the mind from mistakes, abandoning greed, hatred, and ignorance is essential. Correctly considering this food as salutary medicine, it will prevent the body from withering away. Now I receive this food for the sake of accomplishing the Buddha path. Chinese too. Ji gong do shang, liao bi lai chu, chun zi zi sing, chun zi gong, 
方心一国，同样的为众，正气凛然，为了世故，为将道也，明确其实。Join palm now. I have our meal now. 